And Stephen, he was like feeding the Hebrews and the Hellenists. He was going across racial lines. He was, you could say it was kind of a social justice thing, but a true social justice thing, not a fake thing. And he was helping people in ways that had never been helped before. And everybody just went, whoa, is this what Christianity is about? And And they reached the entire world in one generation with Christianity because of that. So I would say those are the practical ways to do that. And that's why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventists um, are known for preaching a sanctuary doctrine. But that's not just in heaven. That sanctuary is creating a sanctuary space on earth. It's looking at your body as a sanctuary, as a temple. It's entering into that sanctuary space with physical acts of healing, emotional acts of healing, and then socially reaching the community. It has now become painfully obvious that the coronavirus pandemic is upending every aspect of our current society. Business, politics, recreation, and yes, even religion itself will never be the same again. Many are predicting the shuttering of thousands of small churches all across America who are ill-equipped for a prolonged financial layover. Many in the church today are now being forced to grapple with a new, perhaps more biblical definition of church, no longer as defined by its building or services, but by its people. I know this crisis has forced me to rethink my role as a local pastor and what I should be focusing my time on. Maybe my office shouldn't be in a building either. Jesus wasn't restricted to a building. Why should I? Why should any of us be for that matter? Now don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for teaching in a building. And Jesus was not against teaching or attending services at the temple or the synagogue. In fact, he modeled it by his actions many times. But the majority of his time was spent outside the walls of a building, outside the institution. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Doing good. I've been thinking a lot about that these days. You see, the church has traditionally associated doing good with believing what is right. And so we gather together each week to affirm each other in that we believe what is right. Therefore, that believing makes us good people. But does it? Does believing what is right automatically make us good people? I think you know the answer, but just in case you don't, let's ask Jesus' brother, the Apostle James, the same question. Notice what he says in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now let that sink in for a minute longer. Faith 
without works, in other words, doing good to others, is dead, meaning it has absolutely no salvific significance. Knowing what is true does not give us any brownie points with God. The devils all know the truth, but they have all chosen to rebel against it. It was their actions that cost them their place in heaven and turned them from angels into demons. Because of the current crisis, now more than ever, we need to grapple with this reality. When the smoke clears at the end of the day, what will the church look like? And what should it look like? To discuss these questions and more, I had the privilege to interview Pastor Don McIntosh, who is currently serving as a teacher and campus chaplain at Weimar College in California. The interview was recorded before the current crisis, but the substance is still very relevant as we as Christians figure out how we're going to relate to our communities in the midst of crisis. Could health ministry have a role to play in that as well? I started the interview by asking him to introduce Weimar Institute to those who do not know much about it. Weimar Institute is the the home of a program called New Start, the New Start program, or newstart.com if you want to look it up. And New Start is an acronym that is nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest, and trust. And it was it came together as an acronym by a patient who went through that for heart disease or other things. And this patient said, this is a great acronym because you talked about new start. You talked about exercise. You talked about water. You talked about, you know, um, temperance, which is just, you know, not overdoing it, but not underdoing it and sunlight and air and rest and then trust in God. So Weimar Institute has been around, um, uh, as a health organization, lifestyle medicine organization reversing the common killers um, by lifestyle means since about 1978. It also has a small college, it has a high school, and it has an elementary school. And um, so while we're helping people from around the world with their physical issues and their emotional issues, because another program on the campus is the Depression Recovery depression and anxiety recovery program with Dr. Neil Nudley. So how I got there, you know, um, was, uh, through, uh, you might say divine appointment. I ended up there. I'd known Dr. Nudley since we were both teenagers and called him there. And then we started working together in helping people not just deal with their physical issues and their emotional issues and their mental issues, but also connect them with a source of all power. God, my background is I'm a registered nurse then I became a pastor, then I became a teacher, then I became a counselor, and at Weimar I do all those. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're always uh, got something going on then. So uh, that's exciting. So what, what is it something that, that you guys are doing there? I, I remember you were telling me, um, you know, you, you've got all these kids, you've got all these young adults um, coming there, they're, they're getting trained, and a lot of times when we go to school, you know, most of our time is spent studying and maybe we have a little bit of time to socialize, but um, not necessarily, you know, actively implementing the things that we're learning. And you were telling me um, something that you guys started doing on Wednesdays and kind of got the whole school involved. And it sounded really fascinating to me. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, usually in American society, um, 
we we have these years where we don't hold people too accountable except for to go to school. We say, this is your time to go to school, do whatever. We don't really, you know, we give them a buy for about 10 years or sometimes even more. And during that time, you know, unless you're careful, you can become pretty self-focused and everything's about you and about your studies and about your career and about your success and about you, you, you. It's kind of like the you movement, right? And um, the problem with that is that you know, nowhere in the New Testament do you see that if you're looking at Christianity. You don't see that. You do not see the disciples saying, yeah, we'll just go to school and we'll, we'll get up at eight and we'll study until five and then and then we'll go to sleep and then maybe on the weekends we'll do something with Jesus. No, Jesus had this like school and they didn't have time to write out their notes until afterwards. And what were their notes? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they wrote them out afterwards and they said, this is what we did. This is what we were doing. This is how we were actively involved. So with that in mind, you know, thinking about that, uh, there came this moment of truth at Weimar where we're going to say, how are we going to engage the community? How are we going to create disciples at the same time? How are our students going to be interested in something more than themselves in the community? So we, uh, we had this meeting and there were like four guiding concepts. Number one, we came to the belief that we should know the spiritual condition of everybody in our community. We felt like, you know what? We need to understand whether or not they're lost, whether or not they know God, whether or not they're the source of all power because he's changed all of our lives and do they know him? So that's number one. Number two, um, that we came to conviction that we should make time each week to do that, to go out in the community and interact with people, to get to know them. They didn't even know who we were. You know, I went out and talked to them, and most people, they knew we were in this place. Some of them call it a compound, like, you know, like it's some kind of cult center, like maybe there's buses buried underground or something, and we, you know, they didn't know what was over there. So we went out, and so we wanted to engage with them, you know, know the spiritual condition, but also get out there and know them, and that we should do this during the school year, not after, not as a mission trip, not as two weeks I go here, two weeks I go there, kind of a little of this and a little of that, but consistently week after week. And if something had to give, we said, let's let it be the academic program. So we then carved out a space that we all agreed on, and the space was five hours on Wednesday, four or five hours. So basically from two to six and then we come to to midweek service where we just share stuff that happened in the community. We share these amazing stories, and there were a lot of amazing stories. So we made that commitment. And now we've been at it for two years, 84,000 hours, $1.2 million of time given to the community. And there's been amazing things that have happened, not just in the community, but also in the student life of students. Um, they have become less focused on themselves. They have, um, you know, the statistics show that almost 90% of our students talk with somebody in the community they never met before um, during that last week. And they're always engaged with other people, not just themselves. And it's brought kind of a revolution um, to our school. And many people are, are choosing to come to our school because they have that integrated within their program. They're like, you know what? I'm actually using what I'm learning. I'm engaging with people in the community. And we have this little T-shirt. So we have T-shirts we wear that are like the loudest yellow you could get. I mean, they make a construction worker look dark, you know. But there's this loud shirts, and they have on the front total community involvement, which is what we call it, 
total community or total campus involvement, depending on who I'm talking to. We want everybody involved on the campus. So it's the faculty and the students together. And that's another big thing. We said the faculty need to go out with the students. You can't tell them to do something you're not doing. So everybody from the president on down goes out on that, that weekend, on that, on that weekday. And uh, then we wear this shirt. It says on the front, total community involvement. On the back, it just says, need help, question mark. And that's our big thing. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's like, okay, what do you need help with? We're here. We're the yellow jackets. You know, <laughs> we kind of look like it because we've got these yellow shirts on. And we're just in the community. And we have these different areas that we've carved out for different groups, 10, 10 to 12 people in a group. And they go to a, a section of the city and, or, the, or the countryside. And they go there and they just try and meet people and see what they need. And, you know, they're, people are kind of startled because you go to their door and they're like, why are you here? You know, we're here to help you. We noticed your leaves need help and we'd like to do the leaves for you. Your gutters need to be cleaned out or your wood needs to be stacked or your car needs to be washed or whatever. And we just go there and we say, we are just here to help. And this is really for us and for you because we're selfish, self-focused. We have this disease that the Bible says is like the, like the church of Laodicea. We're neither hot nor cold. We're kind of like in the middle. And so we need to get out or else we're going to die. And could you help us with that? And they're like startled. So that's kind of, that's an overview. And I could tell you many, many stories (laughs) of what happened. Wow. Well, just tell us one story um, that comes to your mind about, you know, an impact that, that, uh, that this commitment really that, that you've made in the community. Cause I know, um, you know, a lot of people who are listening, you know, they may or may not be a part of a church, but I think a lot of the criticisms that we hear in the non-Christian world about Christianity is is related to not being relevant, not caring about the community, not, you know, just trying to convert people to a certain view or, or idea, but, but not necessarily... Um, caring about the the actual needs of, of the world, and, and and so, but when 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 I have analyzed and and looked at what young people want, they it what I hear it sounds like what is what you're doing, and, and so, um, just maybe share a story about maybe a a student, um, you know, personal experience how that how maybe or or maybe just uh, testimonies from a community member that that you've heard over these last couple of years. Sure. You are exactly right about what you said in that, you know, people are kind of, they wonder if Christianity is relevant because it sounds like just a bunch of propositions that are put forward in a, in a setting that's unnatural and weird at a, at, in a building that they've never been into before with all kinds of stuff they've never done. But this is not what Jesus did. Jesus, it says, went about doing good. That's what he did. Acts 10, 37, 38. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. How do you know he had the Holy Spirit? How do you know he had power? Because he went about doing good and healing and all these different things. That was the major part of his work. And it was out and about. It was, you know, certainly. um, So so anyway, that's kind of what we do. And you're also right that people that are young people, they really get into this. In fact, if I show you this graph, I show you this right here, it shows why people come to our school. They come because of the spiritual atmosphere, because of spiritual growth. And then the number three reason is because the vision and the mission of total community involvement. 
That's why they come. And that's why they're coming. They're not coming because of academics, although we have strong academics. They're not coming because of accreditation, although we have accreditation. They're coming because we're out doing stuff with people and it's real. So I'm giving you a story about that. So, um, you know, I'll give you an example. We went to my group. I decided to selfishly take my group in my neighborhood, which is like within, uh, it's, it's right next to the campus. It's right off the campus. It's, so this is all happening within a half mile campus. So there's this guy. He has this house that looks like a disaster. I'm going, we need a win. We need something where let, everybody sees what we're doing. We were just starting TCI. We all put on our yellow shirts. I went to his house and I said, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I, I want to say two things to you. Number one, we need help. We're selfish. We're self-focused. And and uh, me and these this group of students, we uh, are focused on ourselves too much. We need to get out and be like Jesus and help people in the community. And we notice your yard doesn't look that great. To be honest, it looks terrible, and it's kind of like we look on the inside. So maybe we could help your yard and help us at the same time. Would you mind if we mowed your lawn, picked up all the trash, took it to the dump, and just clean your place up? And uh, he just looked at us startled. He goes, how much? How much would that cost? We said, well, um, nothing. The pay for us is to be able to do it because it's going to help us in so many ways, us. So he said, sure, you know, so we clean up his house, clean it all up. And his mother comes out and his, some relatives come over, some friends, they can't believe it. People driving down the road that looked at his house and saw it as an eye star. They started honking their horns. One of them stopped and said, who are you guys? Uh, would you help clean up my house? How much did you charge? We said, we're doing this for free. They said, really? And one lady came back. She was so impressed. She says, I want to give you a donation. Said fine. She gave me a check for two thousand five hundred bucks, right? So the community was like, "Whoa!" And not only that, then a couple people came by and they said, "Hey, could we work with you guys? Could we help you help people?" So then, what happened was it wasn't just our people from our school, not just people from our church, but now we have going out helping. With us, we have all kinds of people from the community that so like what we're doing that that's how we're reaching the millennials and these other people. They actually want to go out and help. They say, I just like helping you guys. You know, I'll help with the chainsaw. I'll do this. I'll do that. So that's just one story. And this guy, you know, now when I go by his house, I know his pet's name. I know his kid's name. I know his, I know, I know everything that's outside the house and inside the house. And he sees me as a friend. And he's never come to my church, so that doesn't matter. But he has been visited by my church. We went about doing good, so that's one story. And it's it illustrates a couple points that, I mean, when we get through with that kind of stuff, I mean, there's this exhilarating adrenaline kind of rush of, uh, of when you are involved in acts of service that's just powerful. And you know you really help someone. So this guy... I, I, we go up to his house afterwards and another thing I like to do is worship with people, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, we sang a song for him and we said what we could pray for for him. And he says, but you don't understand something. He says, I had a problem with my knee and I need a knee replacement. That's why I couldn't do my yard work. And so suddenly I feel guilty about feeling like his yard is taking down my property values. So I couldn't get that surgery. And then my mother got sick and my sister lost custody of her kids. And so we're taking care of these and we we're we are just beat up and we couldn't, we couldn't 
We were embarrassed to go outside our house. And you have given us so much hope, so much joy, so much help. And then his, he and his mother just started just crying. I had no idea. And I think that's the way it is in your neighborhood. If you're listening or you're around your place, there's all kinds of people within walking distance of wherever you are that have a need and they need help. They don't know how to say they need help. They feel embarrassed about it. They feel ashamed about it. And not only do they need help, but you need help. I need help. And the way we get help is by helping people. Mm. And and so how did, I mean, this is fast. And I could obviously we could talk about this for a long time and, and hear these stories and, and it would be, be inspired by them. You know, and, and what I'm thinking is that this is part of your own journey in your life, right? I mean, this is something that, um, you know, maybe the vision for the total community involvement came as, as a recent, um, you know, outflow of, of this in your life, but, but kind of share a little bit about, you know, you know, it, briefly about your journey from, you know, okay, you were, you were a nurse and then you got into ministry and, and now you're, you're leading, you know, in a, in a college. Um, how did this, this kernel of helping others and meeting the needs of others, you know, when was this kind of born in your own heart and, and how did it develop over your life? Well, you know, that's always a miracle, right? Because everyone is selfish and self-focused and Every good gift comes from God, from Father above, from the Lord of lights. It comes down, James tells us in James chapter 1. So everything good, there is no one good but God. So any good impulse comes from God, although you may not know that or understand that, and I certainly didn't. But what happened to me in my life, I was raised in a, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home, but I rejected Christianity. I went away from Christianity. I got bitter and angry against my father. Uh, because I didn't understand my father. He got hit by a train when he was seven and he had a head injury and he just uh, related in different ways. And I took that to be the way God related. And so I rejected God. And then I went into this dark place in my life for trying all kinds of stuff that was pretty much self-focused and self-medication focused. And it didn't work. So I came to the point of uh, almost, you know, ending my life. And as a result, uh, you know, I'd, I'd become a registered nurse and different things and I had taken schooling and whatnot, but I, I couldn't stand people. I mean, I was in a hospital and I couldn't stand the people because they, they were taking me away from my, my objects, which I wanted to focus on, which was, you know, not the patients, but the nurses, <laughs> not the, not the problems, but what I wanted to do. And so, you know, um, in that journey, I be. I didn't realize it at the time, but I just was, I was lost. <laughs> I was just lost and I didn't know the joy of actually helping other people. I didn't know that joy. And it wasn't until God reached into my life that I began to see that. And then when I began to see that, I began to see that really true life comes from helping other people. That's, helping others really helps yourself. And so I started to do that in the hospital as a nurse, and then in the community. So like in the hospital, uh, nurses I found were pretty hostile to each other. They're not very nice to each other, at least where I worked. And then I said, well, what if I was just nice to these people? This was after I got converted. You know, what if I was nice to them? What if I helped them learn the job? What if I learned, helped them orient them to the hospital and different things? And then also that went to the patients. What if I was nice to the patients in ways they didn't expect? Like maybe they're cold and they're on a gurney which is, you know, a cart in the emergency room. Maybe they're cold and they just came in. You know, I also worked for a time with the paramedics. 
What if I put a warm blanket under them? What if I help them that as a simple way? And, you know, just doing simple things that were, that were seen as beyond the call of duty just started to bring so much joy to me, but also to the people I was serving. And it's that core idea, that seed idea that really um, went to everything. It's not the amount of training you have. It's not the fact that you have 25 years of training or 30 years of training. That's not that you're a physician or a, a clinician of some kind. It can be anyone from the janitor to the president if they have this concept. And the concept is this. I'm going to find a need and meet it. I'm going to find someone else that doesn't have what they need today, and I'm going to, I'm going to try and meet that need. And that's kind of the journey that I went on. I mean, I could tell you all kinds of stories along the way, but that's basically the journey. It's, it's, it's moving from a self-focus to another focus, mm. basically. And, and so you had been exposed to Christianity before, and, and you mentioned that, um, you know, part of your journey to conversion um, resulted in this renewed interest in helping others. Um, and, and that, would you credit that to sustaining your spiritual vitality as you have um, continued um, serving the Lord since, since that initial conversion? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, I'm a pastor and, 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 and I know you've served in that, that arena as well. And, and you go to church and, and there's people there um, who, who have had an experience with God, but it seems like the fire has gone out. It seems like there's a, um, a lack of, of passion, a, a, almost an acceptance of the mediocrity in their, in their experience. And, and so this not only is a challenge for, for those in the church, but for someone listening who is considering Christianity, you know, maybe they look at a Christian and they say, I they don't look happy. They don't look like they're making a difference. So why would I want to become like that? And, and so from either of those perspectives, um, you know, just share a little bit about, you know, why this is so important to having a vibrant Christian experience. Sure. You know, there was a transition that came in my life and has to come in everyone's life if they're going to have joy. And that is you don't go to church for you. You go to church for someone else. You don't wake up in the morning for you. You wake up for someone else. You don't live your life for yourself. You live your life for someone else. And it's really hard to, I remember when I first saw that, and that was when my grandfather moved in with me. He was 86 years old and I was 26. And uh, he called me up and he said, I want you to take care of me. Buy me a house. He sent me money in the mail. I bought him a house. And then when he would get up every morning, he would say to me, you know, I'm not, I don't know why I'm alive. All my friends are dead. I don't know anyone, but I know you boys and I must be alive for you. So in the morning he would get up and he would fix me breakfast and he would help me with this and that. He would do my laundry and he would sing songs and hymns and stuff. And he was happy serving me. And I was like, what, where do you get an attitude like that? It really impressed me. And then I realized that. So unhappy people are people that are living for themselves. Unhappy church members, unvibrant church members are going to church for themselves. If you go for yourself, then you're critical. You're saying, what about this? What about that? If you go to church because you're there to bless someone, maybe there's someone from the community that never has had in church before and they're looking for God to help them in some way. They desperately came to church searching for something. 
you know, I want to find that person. I want to sit by that person. I want to, I want to make sure I open the door for that person. I want to explain what's happening in the service. Like, why are they standing up? Why are they sitting down? Why are they saying like weird words and this and that? And what does that mean? And I hope that your church doesn't do that. But, and I'm always telling my church, let's, you know, we got to remember to explain things to people here the first time. And I want to, I want to, I guess want to say is, you know, if church is seen as a place where you go just for you, then it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be bad. But if it's a place that you go to tell what God has done for you and to help other people have some kind of transition or some kind of transformation, then it's the most exciting place on earth. I mean, I want to get people to come to my church. I want to dip them in that group of people because that group of people is a lean, mean, powerful, witnessing machine. We're out in the community. We're helping people. We want to help other people. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, some churches are not like that. They're like the frozen chosen. You know, they're they're rotating chairs on the Titanic. They're not really, they're not really into it. They haven't ever caught that. They need to be re- revived, renewed, reignited. Yeah, and and so, you know, is it something, you know, I, I think a lot of times the idea is that there's certain, you know, quote-unquote, minimal requirements to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, one of those requirements, a lot of people, you know, would say is is believing the Bible. And then, and then usually another one would be, you know, attending service. And, and another one might be, giving money to the church. Um, but you know, and I'm not saying those things aren't important, but, but if you're just doing those things, if you're just, you know, occasionally reading your Bible, you know, attending church, um, giving some money in the offering plate, but you're not doing what you're saying. I mean, it is service like you were describing. Is that optional? Is that a, you know, does God consider that optional? Because I, I think, you know, maybe that's part of it too, is like, well, I'm meeting the minimal requirements. And so therefore I'm not going to challenge myself to, to get involved in someone else's life. I have enough problems of my own. You know, I've got, I've got burdens, I've got depression, I've got debt, I've got family issues, I've got health issues. So, so how do I, you know, think about someone else's problems and helping them when I've got so many problems myself and and I'm doing the best I can and I'm coming to church or I'm, 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 you know, opening the Bible, but, but, but talk a little bit about this aspect of, of Christianity that sometimes uh, many would say is optional. Yeah. Well, you know, we like to have lists and we like to put things down to things that we can check off. And that we say we've been there, done that, and so we've arrived, and then we can kind of coast. But the the Christian walk is not just, again, a, a, about lists. Um, it's about people. And um, if you're not working for someone else or helping someone else, you're going to die. It doesn't matter if you pay tithes and offerings. Uh, you That's not always although it's important because it's showing your commitment with your money which where your money is there your heart's going to be also i mean it's important it's not the same as i'll give an example when i worked in the hospital i i I got convicted i'm a seventh-day adventist i got convicted that working on sabbath in the hospital is not something i should get paid for in other words i didn't see jesus like billing people 
and whatnot. So I said, I'm going to give away my money because I, I met a girl who's now my wife and she was doing that. And I was like, wow, this is like Ellen White. You know, this is like someone that's a really sanctified, holy person. And, uh, in our church, they have a lady whose name is Ellen White. I said, man, this, this is like, like, wow. But she's also beautiful. But look what she's doing. She's not taking any money for Sabbath work. So I said, I'm going to do that. So I started to give away the money that I was making on Sabbath while I was working in the hospital. And this totally revolutionized Sabbath work for me. I wasn't getting time and a half, or if I did, I was giving it away. So there was no monetary thing. I was there, and it, it turned it into a time of worship rather than just work. So I started giving away this money. Pretty soon, the people in the community were coming, and I was buying crutches for them or helping them with this or that. And pretty soon, they all knew about it, and it just started to snowball. Everybody in the community knew about this, right? I'm in this inner city uh, emergency department, and... People are just coming. And then one day I go to work and I'm driving to work. And I had a little blue Honda and this little kid sees me and I see him out the window. He goes, he's here. Kind of like, you know, like, like maybe they would have said to Jesus, you know, like he's here. And then I'm here, he's here. And then I saw these people running, literally running to get in line because they know I'm going to give away money and help them. So they line up and I don't know how many, 20, 30, 40 people lined up. And I'm there, I'm at the triage, which is a place where you figure out what's wrong with people. And then when that's not busy, I'm having these people come and I'm helping them and they're lined up. Well, the hospital security and other people go, who are these people? And then, you know, then the nursing supervisor says, you know, they, I get a phone call. I want to talk to you. So I go up to her office and she says, you know, Don, we like you very much. I said, oh, this is what every girl said to me when they broke up with me, you know that we like you very much. And, uh, and she goes, but you know, I, I know what you're doing in terms of stuff. You've got all these people seeing, come to see you from the community. And I want to ask you a question. I said, what's that? She said, I want to ask if you would be willing not to work at our hospital from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And I was like, why'd you pick those times? She goes, because I know I heard that you're giving away the money that you make on Sabbath and so we don't want you to work anymore on Sabbath because this is kind of a distraction to our mission and different things. We really like you. We know that, you know, we not, but we don't want you doing that. And I was like, I was kind of like bittersweet. I was like, all right, I can go to church, church, right? Uh, but now I'm like, I don't have this resources. I'm not helping the people. It was really exhilarating to do that. So I said, okay, I won't work anymore, of course, because I want to keep my job, but would you please refer those people to my church because they need help and tell them where I went. Then I went to my church and I said, Hey, let me tell you what happened. Told them what happened. And I said, Hey, you know, we need to help these people because you know, now I'm not there. A bunch of people in that church. When I told the story, I just told you they worked in the same hospital and they were getting paid and I wasn't trying to guilt them or anything. I just shared what I, what happened to me. And then they started giving funds and then we started helping a bunch of people. And that's an example. In other words, we're always trying to figure out how to maximize our time for the master and, and share the message uh, in whatever our work environment is. And then try and connect that with our church. Because that's what our church is about. The church is not um, kind of some kind of museum. It's kind of, you know, where you keep old pictures of old things that are old even though there's the Old Testament there, it comes alive when you when the stories come alive. 
Yeah, and so you've definitely shared several stories, and and I appreciate that, and and it's clearly um, made an impact in your life, and now you're, you know, leading others, and and they're experiencing the joy of of service and giving, and and it's almost like this disinterested type of giving because you're saying when you go and help these people, you're not doing it with an agenda. You're not saying, well, you know, I'll help you, but I'll help you if, you know, it's just like, I'm here. We're here to help you. And, uh, no quid pro quo, right? That's what they'd say today. (laughs) We're not doing it for that. We're doing it. Okay. Disinterested benevolence, interesting term. It's disinterested, which means I'm not interested in, in myself. I'm not interested in what other people think. I'm interested in doing what God wants me to do. And that what God wants me to do is to seek and save the lost. It's to be like the Good Samaritan. It's to reach out in compassion to people. That's what he wants me to do. And when that happens, that's a transformative thing in the community and also my life. I was in a store the other day in my little city, and there was this guy that was, he was complaining because he saw a flyer from one of our programs coming up. And he goes, these people just want us to come to their programs and join their church. And these people are annoying me. And then the guy at the counter, he goes, wait a minute. You're talking about that church over there. You're talking about that institute. You know what they did for me? They cleaned up my yard. You know what they did for my neighbor? They cleaned out their gutter. You know what they did for this other lady? She was sick and they took her to the hospital. You know what? They, and he began to tell her the stories. And the guy said, I had no idea. And he goes, you you can't talk about them like that. These are nice people. And I was like, look at that. Look at that. That is what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where people go, these people are helping people. We might not believe what they believe. We might not even know what they believe. But we are going to protect them because they're helping us. Mm, Wow. And then, and it's, so it's really just about, you know, being who we are and being, and, and help me understand. I mean, when, when you say disinterested benevolence, um, it doesn't mean that we're doing all this work and we're hiding the fact that we're Christians. It's just, we're not doing it in order to make someone else a Christian, but, but there isn't, you know, there isn't a, a, you're not like covering up the fact that, that you're a Christian organization, right? So if people wanted to ask or, or inquire more about what you believe, does that happen all the time? Cause so you, cause they'll ask us, why are you doing that? And we'll say, Hey, you know, <laughs> because God did so much for us. He's helped us. We want to help other people. Or one guy asked me, he goes, why would you clean out my gutters and my stuff? You came back to my house for three weeks. You helped me. And why would you do that? You know? And I said, well, you know, here's the bottom line. Adventists believe that God is in heaven and there's a sanctuary up there and it needs to be cleaned out because we're always sending sins up there and they need to be taken care of. They got to be cleaned up. So he's cleaning the heavenly sanctuary and he wants us to do the same thing on earth. So anything we can clean up on earth, it's like he's cleaning in heaven. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to clean up your yard. You got anything to clean? We're like cleaning here and God's cleaning up there. So, you know, let, let's say your coronary arteries, they're kind of clogged. We'll help you clean those out. Your thoughts are kind of confused and distorted and they're, they need to be cleaned out. We're going to help you do that with our depression and anxiety program. Everything we do is about cleaning. Thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. He's cleaning upstairs. We're cleaning downstairs. Wow. That, that's such a cool way of saying it in a way that I think uh, anybody can, can understand. And, and it doesn't, you know, it's not some just abstract concept um, that, you know, we, we have covered somewhat on this podcast before, but, but just practically speaking, you know, that, that is what, what it looks like. And, and so 
kind of just to to kind of wrap up, you know, this this time together. And I really appreciate you coming on, Don. Um, you know, so so somebody who is, you know, okay, I'm I've never done this before. I mean, I'm not necessarily, um, you know, the, the people I'm around or the church I'm attending or, you know, I, I, nobody's doing this. So so what would be your advice to somebody who, um, you know, is listening and they say, wow, you know, that that vision inspires me. Like I want to I want I want to make that kind of impact in my community and I want to see that change happen in my life. Um you know, what would you say to that person? Well, let me give you five quick things that just come to mind. And it's based on, uh, it's based on actually a prophecy in the Bible. I used to study these prophecies and they were theoretical, but I, I said, what's the practical application of this? And there's a, there's a prophecy that has five key uh, times, which I won't go into the times, but I'll just give the concepts. And the first thing was to rebuild a sanctuary and the second thing is uh, enter that sanctuary for three purposes and then enter the community. And let me just summarize it for you. Number one, uh, create a sanctuary space. In the Old Testament, there was a place of healing called a sanctuary. Everybody got sick. Everybody had anything problem with them. They went to the sanctuary for healing. And that sanctuary um, helped them physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. When you were outside the sanctuary, for instance, there was all kinds of unclean meats, un unhealthy things but you went in you had to move to clean meats and then when you went into the holy place you moved to grains grapes and olive oil and then when you went to the most holy place you had fruits nuts grains and vegetables it was a progression from the worst things that you could eat for your body to the best things you could eat for your body it was a center of health it wasn't just it wasn't just physical health but it was also redemptive health you can't carry the burden so hand them over to the sanctuary let god take care of them and you can't so in other words create a sanctuary space. Create a place where people can come to get healed. They've got problems, but God's got solutions. That's the basic number first step. So how does that work practically? I was on the plane flying here to this conference. I see a guy next to me. He smells like he smokes. I realize he smokes. He probably doesn't want to smoke because he probably knows it's killing him, but he probably doesn't know how to get out of it. So what do I do? I open my laptop, but I have a seminar on smoking, how to stop smoking. I turn it briefly just just a little bit to him. I don't say anything to him, but I just look at the slides and I go, wow. Mm, mm. Pretty soon he says to me, uh, that looks, those look like interesting slides. And, and I said, why are they so interesting to you? He goes, because I smoke. I said, I would have had no idea, you know, but I create a sanctuary space. And then he says, how do, how could I do this? How can I do that? You see what I mean? So you're finding whoever you're next to and you're creating a sanctuary space that can move them from where they are, which might not be so positive, slowly, kindly, uh, considerately, uh, along the same path probably you were led in some way. So that's number one. Number two, Jesus entered that sanctuary space, uh, you know, 483 years after the sanctuary was rebuilt as, uh, as, as a healer. He was anointed, and he went about doing physical acts of service. So number one, create a sanctuary space. Number two, try and help people physically in some way. I talked about cleaning their gutters. I talked about mowing their lawns. It could be rubbing their back if that's appropriate. <laughs> it could be, you know, helping them in some simple way, bringing them water, bringing them food, whatever it is, something physically helping them. You think about how people show kindness to you. If you want to get married, you go out to eat. You have to take people out to eat. You give them a drink or something else. And pretty soon they want to be called by your name and you know, whatnot. 
And so that's number two, physical acts of service. Number three. So number one, sanctuary space. Number two, physical acts of healing. Number three, emotional connectedness through sacrifice. Jesus in the middle of the week of Daniel 9's prophecy, he died on the cross. And even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they saw him die. And they saw that he was a man acquainted with sorrows and with griefs. He went through all that and all of their affliction, he was afflicted. And if we can relate to people, not just helping them physically, but also connecting emotionally with them and saying, you know, I know how you feel. I, I've been there or whatnot. And we do that in a sacrificial way. People are going to say, just like they said of Jesus on the cross, never a man spoke like this. This dude is, we can't believe it. He healed all our people and now he's dying. He's not coming down. We don't know what this means, but something tugs at our hearts because there's sacrificial service that's related and connecting to us on an emotional level. So sanctuary space, physical acts of healing, emotional, mental connectedness. And then then after Jesus died for the next three and a half years, his disciples went around doing the same thing he did. And this reached the society and the society was so reached by it. They were just and then there was a point guy, his name was Stephen. And Stephen, he was like feeding the Hebrews and the Hellenists. He was going across racial lines. He was, he, you could say it was kind of a social justice thing, but a true social justice thing, not a fake thing. And he was helping people in ways that had never been helped before. And everybody just went, whoa, is this what Christianity is about? And, the, and they reached the entire world in one generation with Christianity because of that. So I would say those are the practical ways to do that. And that's why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventists um, are known for preaching a sanctuary doctrine, but that's not just in heaven. That sanctuary is creating a sanctuary space on earth. It's looking at your body as a sanctuary or as a temple. It's entering into that sanctuary space with physical acts of healing, emotional acts of healing, and then socially reaching the community. It will transform your community. Now, when I first of all shared that concept, Two physicians heard it. They were so impressed. They said, you know what we should do? I said, what should we do? They said, we should get a stadium and we should do a, a clinic for people. And so they did that. And you know what? Uh, we, we did that the next year. We had 700 providers that came and helped, as well as all kinds of uh, folks that were just members of various churches. And we served three to 4,000 people in San Francisco. This one guy, he came to me, he goes, you know what? This place was a place of darkness, but you guys have turned it into a place of light. And now that's gone to eight cities. That all came out of that concept that I just shared with you. And that's, those are the, those are so five things, create a sanctuary space, enter it with physical acts of healing, emotional acts of healing and connectedness, you know, in reaching them and then social acts of healing. And number five, that's what the church should do. Wait, say what? Explain the fifth one again. The fifth one is okay. This this is a prophecy, right? Right. The prophecy was oh, re- rebuild the sanctuary. Jesus then entered that sanctuary after being anointed, you know, in twenty seven A.D. Then he died on the cross in thirty one A.D. Then Stephen died at thirty four A.D. You can explain this to your viewers in another program, but way down at the end of that prophecy, 
that's called the 2300 day prophecy. There was a movement that was supposed to arise that did all those things. They did all those things. That's exactly their job description. That movement happens to be the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They arose in the 1840s, 1844, and they were supposed to point people to the sanctuary, help people physically, help people mentally, emotionally, and help them in their society. That's what we're called to do. And that's why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, because that that's their message, whether or not they know it. You might meet Seventh-day Adventists that don't know that, but their message is to do that very thing. And when they do that, they're going to, you know, they're going to have pep in their step. They're going to have spunk in their trunk. Their eyes are going to be popping. Their jaws going to be dropping. They are going to be lean, mean, happy machines. <laughs> I like that. So the name of the, this, uh, the, these, this giant kind of gathering of, of medical professionals helping in a, in a, in a, um, urban setting. Is there, is there a name for that? Yeah. It's called pathway to health. It's okay. not, it's, it's called pathways to health. It was originally called bridges to health, but it all came out of a message from Daniel eight and nine. And that's that, those five principles. And, and I'm telling you, so that's a practical application of that prophecy. We don't, we, we, we don't just need sterile theoretical Bible studies. We need to know how they connect to our real lives. And that's, that's what we, I try to live. And this is, it's really it's like going from black and white to color picture. <laughs> right. And so as far as, uh, so the vision's there for anyone. And so anybody who wants to, you know, adopt some of these principles, you know, whether it is like on a massive scale, like at this, these urban pathways to help type um, events. Um, but even as an individual, um, you know, going out and, 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 and seeking to, to create that sanctuary to, to meet people's physical needs, emotional needs, social needs. You know, if you just decide to do that every day and say, Hey, I'm just going to look, Lord, help me to find someone, you know, to meet in, in one of these three areas. That is something practical. Someone could do like right away, right? Anybody, anybody, you know, a physical need doesn't have to be a heart surgery. It could be rubbing someone's back. <laughs> you know, an emotional need doesn't have to be a psychoanalysis where you're sitting down and you you, you got a, a PhD in psychology. It can be just giving a listening ear to have an open-ended question and say, tell me what happened. And maybe not giving some solutions, but at least listening, that's huge, you know? And then socially, what's happening in your neighborhood? Are there are there needs right there that, that you could help with? It's, uh, you know... It's not really rocket science. It's find a need and meet it. <laughs> right. But there is a, an explanation for it. And like we've talked about through this podcast, you know, all the, 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 the theology and the, and the gospel and, and, and the, you know, the implication of everything we study um, through the Bible should result in something that's visible and, and real and, and, and it, and it meets the whole person in which I think, you're describing the physical, emotional, social uh, aspects, um, which you know, like you've mentioned, s- emotional and and spiritual are very closely connected with one another, and 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 so this is the 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 really heaven on earth. This is the kingdom of heaven in us, and and when when the church or when we as individuals adopt this you know, the gates of hell cannot prevail against this, right? I mean, there's just nothing that's going to stop. And and, and like you said, just like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no 
law. And what you're saying too is that people, even the ones who don't necessarily agree with maybe some of the particular beliefs um, that Seventh-day Adventists hold, they will actually um, defend uh, the 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 church in the community if they can see that, hey, they're here to, to help people. Exactly. You know, in John, you know, First John 5, it says that they, everyone's under the spell, the sway of the devil. And, you know, the devil wants to hurt, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. Everything of pain comes from the forces of darkness. But the gospel, literally, it's an old English word that means God's spell. We fall under God's spell, the gospel. When we fall under his spell, he changes our lives. We're filled with so much gratitude for what he's done in our lives that we want to help other people. We want other people to fall under the spell, gospel. And that's the whole thing. I mean, God has helped me so much. I wouldn't even be alive today. I would have killed myself without God. And all my life is is basically a bonus. It's about his mercy. He errs on the side of mercy. Yeah, he is a just God, but... You know, you've done a lot of things bad. So have I, and we're still alive. And we're doing this podcast today and we're just regular guys. We got problems, but we know God has a solution Amen. and we're under his spell, the God spell. So we're living lives of gratitude. We're not doing this because we're working our way. You can't work your way. We're doing this because he's worked out a way. And when we see that, we're like, whoa, man, I, I want to tell people about it. And some people don't know how to hear unless you're doing it in practical ways, mm. they're not going to hear it unless they see it, sense it, experience it. And how can they experience it unless the body of Christ, you're the body of Christ when you join the church. He's the head, you're the arms, you're the lips. Maybe I'm the nostril, I don't know. But he, <laughs> he, he works through you to put the arms around people. And that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. Christ is in heaven. He's directing it through the spirit and he wants to bring people under the spell of the gospel. Um, you know, the, the tagline for, for our, um, the podcast is to be ready for Jesus. And, um, you know, just as, as we close this, this conversation, um, you know, just talk a little bit about, um, you know, how this, commitment to to serving others to um to meeting people's physical emotional social needs um how does that help us to be ready for jesus because it makes us like jesus um you know you don't want to hang out with somebody who you you don't like or you're and you pretty much like people that have common values and goals and stuff and jesus went about doing good and you know like he washed his disciples feet i mean we could explain what that means but and he he led them all around when he called them to follow him uh, everybody wanted to follow a rabbi but nobody got the call except for only the upper echelons but he was talking to fishermen he said look you come and follow me i'll make you become fishers of men I'll teach you stuff you never knew. I mean, and he was reaching people that never would have been reached. And when we see his love in that, he makes it something we never could have been made without him. When we see that, then we want to do that with others. And heaven's going to be full of those people and full of those stories. So heaven 
is something that we have in our hearts before we get there. And you know, it's just like my grandfather who I started with. When I lived with him, he so served me. He was ready to die and see the Lord. <laughs> the next thing he was going to see is the Lord, right? And, uh, you know, and he was ready for heaven. And this is what it makes us ready for heaven. And heaven is a place where, where uh, you know, self-sacrificing love is going to be the center of it. And, you know, that's why I want to be there. Because <laughs> it's going to be all kinds of people. And I hope it's a bunch of my church members. I hope it's a bunch of people in the community that I reach. I want more people there because I'm not just interested in their life. I want them to have everlasting life. I'm not just interested in helping them avoid death. I don't want them to have the second death. I want them to have not just health, but eternal health, right? That's the whole idea. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know Him. Knowing Jesus is everything. That is why we spent the time today talking about the importance of total community involvement with Pastor Don McIntosh. But don't just take our word for it. Go try it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find the show notes from today's episode including links to where you can learn more about total community involvement at Weimar College. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, please leave a rating and review from wherever you download this podcast from. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today. And I look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode of Aventology. Until then, Maranatha. Maranatha.